Ladies and gents, we have our own theme song. Welcome to the well here at SGSA, where in addition to having a theme song, we hopefully have a little discussion here where we'll learn something together as well. My name is Father Anthony. I know we got lots of people who are, um, are, are new to our church family. I see lots of guests here today. What we are talking about, if you're stopping by for the first time or the first time in a long time, is who we are. We're talking about our church is named STSA, and everyone knows STSA, but a lot of people didn't know that STSA stands for something more than just a cute little acronym. It's the name of the two saints by whom we are named after, St. Timothy and St. Athanasius. And the name was chosen for a specific reason. And our goal here in this series, we started last week, Father Timothy shared about St. Timothy's life. The goal is to understand why we chose these two saints as our namesake. Now, if you look in the Bible and you look in biblical times, names had significance. People weren't just named things just for the sake of. The names bore a meaning, and there was an importance to why people were given certain names. We choose names based on how things sound, okay? We named our kids just because, you know, how would it look next to this last name, or what would, the, uh, the, the, what would kids make fun of them as? Or, of course, the most important one, what, is the Gmail or the Twitter handle still available if I name him or her this, right? So we choose based on dumb things like that. But if you look in biblical times, names had weight attached to them which is why you often notice that when God would change the purpose of a person, he would change their name. You could probably think of some examples. A guy named Abraham. When God changed his mission in life, he changed his name. Same with his wife, Sarah. Same thing with Jacob. Turned him to Israel because the name meant something. Same thing in the New Testament with Peter. Okay, when Jesus said, you are Peter, and on this rock, I'm gonna build my church. Names have meaning and names carry more than just a nice sound. Well, I believe the same is true about the church. I believe the church takes on the spirit of its patron saints. And we here have two patron saints. And we are not just cute names that we like or because they're a nice acronym. This is the model. This is the example which we are called to live up to. Last week, we started by looking at the life of St. Timothy. Father Timothy spoke about St. Timothy and he told us that St. Timothy was an evangelist. He was a missionary. And he was someone that reminds us always that we're not just here for ourselves. We're not just here for ourselves. If we're just here for ourselves, we're a country club. We're not a country club. We're here because we found something great. Then we want to go share it with everyone else outside. The day that we become a church that's inside focused and we don't care about the community, we don't care about anyone else joining us, we're big enough as it is, the coffee line is too long, that's the day that St. Timothy looks and is like, what are you guys doing? That's not a church that can be named after me because St. Timothy was someone who was not here just for himself. The other thing we liked about St. Timothy is we saw how he was mixed culture, right? So his father was Greek, his mother was Jewish. So he was kind of the old school and the new school. So he had the traditional piece, which he taught by his mom, and then he had the modern piece by his dad. And that's who we are as a church, right? We're called to bring, what's our tagline? I don't remember our mission statement because I, I, it's been a long day for me. So our mission statement is to bring an, to a, say it again, to bring a, to a, St. Timothy fits that because that's what St. Timothy was. He grew up with the traditional, the ancient, but he brought it to the modern world. So that's the first half of our name. St. Timothy, mission, evangelist, preaching the word of God. The second saint, we wanted to compliment the first one. Not to just be a copy of him, but we looked at it and said, what's missing from that story? <clears throat> Pope Shenouda. The third, the previous patriarch of the Coptic Orthodox Church, one who ordained me as a priest, used to always say that the goal of the church is twofold. He said the goal of the church is preaching and teaching. He said the goal is preaching and teaching. In other words, our goal is to preach, bring them in. Our goal is to teach, build them up. And if you bring people in but do not build up, you fail the mission of the church. Or if you're very good at building but you're not bringing in, you fail the mission of the church. We need to, this is the way I like to call it, have a big front door where many people can enter. Then we need to make sure we lock the back door so that people don't leave. Well, our second saint fits that teaching model, and that is the A of the STSA, and that is Saint Athanasius. Repeat after me, Athanasius. Athanasius is his name, and Athanasius is one of the greatest figures in Christian history. You go to anyone who knows any lick of Christian history and you say Athanasius and they stand in respect because he is a figure that is universally respected and admired for the contributions he made 
to Christianity as a whole. And did you know, STSA family, a little piece of trivia for you, I was almost named Saint Athanasius, not Saint Athanasius, Father Athanasius. <laughs> well, it could turn into a saint one day, you never know, I mean. <laughs> I was almost named Father Athanasius, and you say, thank God you didn't get that name, like you got a much better one with Anthony. Well, it actually was my choice, because Saint Athanasius is actually someone who was very dear to my heart, so when I got ordained as a priest by Pope Shenouda, okay, the way it worked is my name was Michael before I was a priest. All right, and then he asks you, what do you want your priest's name to be? So you go with the standard, whatever your holiness says. And he says, no, what do you want? You say, no, whatever your holiness, you have to do the little dance, okay? And then he says, no, you choose. And what, they, what he says is, usually you come up with three names, okay? Then he chooses from those three. I said, Anthony was my first choice. Athanasius was my second choice. But to be honest, I knew it was never going to get to the second choice because Pope Shenouda, when he was a monk, was named after St. Anthony. He was Antonius. So when I went and I said, Anthony's my first choice. And he goes, did you know that was my name? I said, that's, of course, your holiness. That's why I chose it. You know what I mean? It's a blessing and an honor. So he, of course, okay. But it was almost, if he just said, no, my second choice was Athanasius. And you say, thank God, okay, for you and for your children that you didn't get that name because that's kind of a tough one. But I say, even though I wasn't named St. Athanasius, Father Athanasius, okay, our church is named after him. And that's because he's a great man. He's truly a great man. And I'm not just saying great, like you hear great, easy. I'm saying the church has given him the title. What? What was the third choice? Oh, what was the third choice? Uh, was the third choice? Uh, I remember what third choice was, to be honest. I knew I was going to get the first one, okay? <laughs> but but that, I, I, if I had a back, it would have been Athanasius. Probably someone else was A. Maybe, I don't know, Albert. I don't, I don't know what it was going to be, okay? But <laughs> <laughs> <I was gonna laughs> go. <laughs> anyway, the term great is not something that I say loosely. Athanasius has been given the title by the church. If you go to Wikipedia, you will see that Athanasius is called Athanasius the Apostolic or Athanasius the Great. And the church does not bestow the title the Great upon anyone that strolls along on the street. Athanasius was great for so many reasons. You'll read that he was the 20th patriarch of the Church of Alexandria, from which the Coptic Church derives its, its, its origin. But not, it's not him being the patriarch of the church that made him great. He was a patriarch for 45 years. But what made him great was something that happened, actually two things that he did before anybody knew his name. Before he had any official rank, he was just a deacon in the church. He didn't have any official title. He wasn't a big anybody, but he did two things that today all, Christian, all Christians are appreciative, appreciative for what he has done. We're gonna pick up the story here. Athanasius was born in the end of the third century, somewhere between 296 to 299. So really, the majority of his life is in the 4th century, but he started in the end of the 3rd century. What important event happened at the start of the 4th century, you know Christian history, the, one of the most important events happened in Christian history the start of the 4th century. It was what? The, the, the Edict of Milan, where Christianity went from a persecuted religion to being legalized. Okay, In the first three centuries, it was illegal to be a Christian. It was against the rule of the empire. Then eventually, Constantine took over, and he said it's allowed. Then eventually after that, it was not only allowed, it became the official state religion. So think about it. What do you think the church looked like first century, second century, third century as an illegal persecuted church versus how things shifted when it became the state religion? Well, as you can imagine, in the beginning, if you were a persecuted church, no one wanted to join you. Like you were not, you were not, it's not easy to join Christianity and only the people who really believed and accepted the faith and the teachings of the church and were ready to die for it because you were likely gonna die. There's at least a good chance you would die and if not die, you'd be ostracized by your family and by society. Only those people would join. But then all of a sudden, 313, when, when Athanasius was, you know, roughly in, in like his, his early teens, all of a sudden becomes legal. And then all of a sudden, the emperor joins. Now, all of a sudden, it's the cool thing to do. So now what kinds of people are joining? Now it's like, okay, I'll join. What's Christianity? I don't know, but I mean, I know the emperor is. The celebrities are. All the big wigs are. And now, all of a sudden, you had different people joining the faith, not all for the right reason. Not all for the purity of the faith. You had people coming in with crazy ideas, people coming with different teachings, and people coming for selfish motives, because now it could be beneficial to you to be a Christian. So at the age of 21, not for any reason other than he was inspired by God, Athanasius wrote a book. It's not even right to call it a book 
It's more of like an essay. It's a very simple, short little book. And if you buy this personal one, which is the copy that I have on my desk, okay, half of it is an introduction written by C.S. Lewis. Half of it is an introduction, but the other half is a very simple, but very profound and deep explanation of the Christian faith called On the Incarnation, which at the time it was written and since then has shaped the formation of Christian dogma and doctrine, only the New Testament. I would put this book only behind the New Testament writings, only behind the New Testament. I would say this book, okay, contributed more to Christian dogma than any other book. And the best part is, I promise you, okay, you don't need a PhD in theology to understand this book. Anyone can pick it up and read it and understand it. It's written in very simple language. I highly encourage you to do that. C.S. Lewis, who wrote the introduction to the book, says this. When I first opened on the incarnation, I soon discovered I was reading a masterpiece. For only a mastermind could have written so deeply on a subject with such classical simplicity. So first thing he did is he write on the incarnation. We're going to talk about what was inside that book, but it really connects to the second thing he did as well. In addition to writing this book by himself, Athanasius was critical in the writing of another important document in Christian history, and that document is the Nicene Creed, which was written in the year 325 AD at the first ecumenical council. Athanasius was at this council with all these bishops and all these big patriarchs and all these guys, and his title was what? Nothing. He was the assistant to the Bishop of Alexandria. He was the secretary, like he was the guy getting the donuts and the coffee. And he was just a regular deacon, but he was invited by the bishop to kind of accompany him. And what they found is this man was filled with so much wisdom and so much grace from God that he was the, the brains, the spearheading behind the writing of the creed, which any Christian, okay, today you have so many different Christian denominations and people believe this, people believe this. 99% of Christians will say, Nicaea. We accept the council of Nicaea and with the teachings of Nicaea, that's kind of like the basis. And from there, things unfortunately split in different directions. But I cannot overstate the importance of this creed because again, where was the church at the time? You know how a baby, okay, a baby when it's first born is in its most vulnerable state. Like a child who's a year, two years, three years, three years old, not a big deal. Like they make and drink whatever, Okay, and they fall down a couple steps. Like, yeah, okay. Like, it's not that end of the world, okay? But a child in its infancy, like when it's first, like, few, first few days, first few months, is very fragile. And if you're not careful with it, you're going to ruin the whole thing. It can cause serious damage. The church is the same way. Like, the church today is strong. The church doctrine is formulated. It's documented. You cannot shake the church doctrine. Someone come, because people still do this, with all kinds of crazy teachings, can't shake the church. Because church has been around for 2,000 years. But in the first 100, 200, 300 years, in the beginning, the church was in its infancy. And it could have gone a million different directions. And here was the pure faith. And here was the road. And then someone comes and says, actually, no, this is what we believe. And the church was at a dangerous point. What, is he right? Was he wrong? Should we go this way? Should we go this way? And Athanasius stood strong at a time when the church was susceptible to heresy and false teachings. And he led the church into the way of truth. And what I'm talking about now is exactly what truth I'm talking about. What was the heresy and what was the truth? So we're going to talk about Athanasius. But in order to understand him and his impact, you have to understand another character from the same time period. And that is the bad guy of the story. And his name is Arius. Doesn't he just look like a bad guy? Doesn't he just look slimy, like a sleazeball? Okay, Arius is, if Athanasius is the superhero... Arius is the villain. He's your classic bad guy. He's a smooth talker. He's a sweet talker. He's a salesman. And he's a guy who was devious and cunning and had all kinds of bad, bad, bad motives. He was a con man. And he sought to take the church into a very bad direction. His whole point is very simple. If I'm going to summarize it, okay? Arius said that Jesus Christ is not God. He said that the Father is God, the Son is not God. The Son is a lesser creature, is a lesser being, and the Son was not divine. Therefore, if I had to summarize it, he basically, he denied the divinity of Christ. He said, like so many people, and if we're honest, like we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna bash this guy, okay, because he's a bad dude, we're gonna bash him, but we're honest, like kind of, when I'm gonna tell you what he said, it kind of makes sense, like, how is it that God 
can have a son, and that son is the same as God. Like, doesn't, doesn't make sense. And he struggled with the idea of how can God be a man? And how can man be a God? And there has to be a difference between the father and the son because doesn't the son talk to the father? And doesn't the father send his son? And isn't it, like we say, even something that we say, the son was begotten of the father. So Arius took that and said, see, the son was begotten. Therefore, the son was created by the father. And you look and you say, it sounds about right. Arius didn't like that man and God, that God could be man and man could be God. Couldn't get it. Couldn't get it. So what he created is a middle state. He said you had God, meaning God the Father, and you had man. And then you had Jesus, the Son, the Logos. And he was a middle state. And he was not God, but he was also not man. He was the firstborn of all creation. He was the first of all God's creatures. But he was a creature nonetheless. Let me tell you how Arius would break this down. And again, I'm telling you what's wrong. So please, no one be taking notes as to what I'm saying right now and be like, oh, this is a new, no, okay? I'm telling you what Arius, Arius would say. Arius would say in the beginning was God. So far, so good. In the beginning was God. So far, so good. God is eternal. God is infinite. Perfect. And then what Arius would say is that at a moment in time, he created his son. He did not create all creation. He created his son. He created the logos. And then he used the logos to create the rest of creation. What Arius would say is, there's no way God could create man directly. God is too big. God is too awesome. Man would be burned up by the divinity of God. So God created this lesser God, this creation, who then he used to create the rest of the creation. So all of us were created from the Logos, who was created from the Father. That's what Arius would say. Another way of saying it, Arius would say that the Son was not God, but he was the paintbrush of God, an intermediary of God, someone that God used to accomplish his purpose. If you understand or don't understand the details of it, let me make it as clear, as simple as possible. If you drew a line on this stage, okay, forget about all the different titles. And on one side of the stage, you put God, and you put infinite, and you put eternal, and you put unchangeable. Aries would say, yes, that's where God is. Then on the other side, you put the exact opposite of that, okay? You put man who is created, who is finite, who is limited, put all those other things. And you asked Arius, where would you put the sun? Where would you put the logos? He would say, on this side. He would say, the sun is the best of all the creation, but he's a creation. He's the higher than any other creature on the planet, but he's still a creature. And he used to have this little jingle. Okay, his catchphrase, which was probably catchy in whatever the original language, not so much now. His catchphrase was, there was a time when he was not. There was a time when he was not. Okay, it probably rhymed, like I said, in Greek or Latin or whatever it was. But, and that was his whole point, was the word. There was a time when there was the father where there was not the son. There was a time before whatever it may be, but there was a time. And like I said, if we're honest, yeah. How could God be father, son, and Holy Spirit? How could God be three and God be one? How could God be man and not be man? Like, I'll tell you some of the stuff that I've heard. Okay, and I, I, it sounds disrespectful. I don't mean it disrespectful, but like for us who grew up in the church, maybe you're offended by what I'm about to say, but I'm just telling you what other people think. And, and like, it's okay. Like, we all come from different backgrounds. Some people say, so if God became man, yes, God became man. Are you saying God had to sleep? Are you saying God was breastfed? Are you saying God, like, again, forgive me, I mean, God went to the bathroom? And our answer as Christians is yes. Our answer is yes. We struggle because in our human way of thinking, we like comparisons. So we say, compare that to what else? What else can you compare that to? Well, the answer is nothing. And if you could compare it to something, it wouldn't be God because God by definition is in his own category. So yes, it doesn't make any sense. And yes, there's no comparable. And yes, there's nothing you can say, oh, it's just like that. Because if it was just like that, then it wouldn't be God. St. Augustine actually has this nice quote, okay? St. Augustine of Hippo, who himself was a non-believer, was an atheist, then came to Christ. And he said this, what you understand can possibly be God. That's, that's a great, a, a succinct way of saying it is possible. 
what you understand can't be God. Because if I could put God in your brain, if your brain could fully capture God, he would cease to be God. That would mean your brain is God. And that would mean the one that you call God is simply a figment of your imagination. It is not the true God. Because the true God, by definition, is infinite. You, by definition, are finite. Can I put infinity in infinity? <laughs> finite? Can I put infinite in finite? Okay. Can I put limitless in limited? Can I put the ocean in a bottle of water? No. And if you could, it wouldn't be the ocean. If you filled up the biggest bottle of water, it wouldn't be the ocean. It would be your own creation. Let me tell you some of the stuff that I hear. Again, let's make this personal. We've all struggled with this. We've all struggled with this. I'm going to tell you stuff I've heard. Everything I'm saying right here, I've heard these things in the last three or four weeks. Okay, some conversations that I've had. Someone came to me recently and told me, I'm not a believer. I'm not, I don't believe in Christianity. I don't, I don't believe in God. But, you know, I want to ask. It's always that way. I don't believe in God. But I just want to ask you, you know, your thoughts on whatever, whatever. And, and it's always like pray for me in the end. But it's a fine. Okay. <laughs> I don't believe in God. So I would say like God, God. And, and the person would say, Okay, I choose to believe God does not have a name. Like, okay, what do you want me to say? Like, I mean, if I want to say, like, what, like, like fill in the blank, like, insert name here. Like, what person said, no, I don't believe in God. You can choose to have God and have his name, but I choose to know God has, an, God has no name. What I want to say is, if you say God has no name, but God says I have a name, I'm going with God. Because I'm not going with your picture of God with no name. That's just your little picture. And you may be the smartest person or the dumbest person. I don't care. You're still a person. And if God fits in your little pea brain, that's not a God I want to worship. Someone else told me. Again, you probably said this. God can't possibly exist because I prayed and nothing happened. To say God can't exist because I prayed and nothing happened is like my children to come to me and say, give me candy for dinner. And I say, no, my parents don't exist. Because if they did, I'd have candy for dinner. No, that's not how it works. That's how it works in your brain. But your brain is not who I'm worshiping. And I don't want to come to church to worship your brain. With all my due respect to you and, and, and your, your great neurological functioning, that, like, that's not my goal. My goal is to worship a God that I can't understand. The easiest one that we all say, I can't believe in a God who allows so much evil in the world. I can't believe in a God who allows so much evil in the world. We talked about this about a month ago or whatever it was. When, I, when we asked that question, I can't believe in a God who allows evil. What I would say to you, have you ever committed evil? Have you ever done something wrong? So therefore, what you're saying is, I can't believe in a God who would create me. I can't believe in a God who allowed me to exist. The world today prefers to make up ideas versus Athanasius teaches us to humble ourselves, bow before God. Not me tell God who he is. Me listen to who God says he is. St. Paul said the same thing in 1 Corinthians 2. He said, we speak wisdom. Among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. There's people who have blogs and internets and Instagrams and Instaface and whatever it may be. We're not trying to impress them. We're not trying to get them to, to agree. I'm not trying to be logic to them. That stuff is coming to nothing. We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Because he's God by definition, he cannot be explained. The hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. I remember when, when we started seminary. The first thing that we learned in seminary, the first thing, here you are, you're coming to learn theology and learn about God. The first thing is the, the quote that all theologians love is a quote from St. Gregory, who said, it is impossible to express God. It is even more impossible to conceive him. Meaning it is impossible for me to explain God. Like here I am a student, here's the teacher. It's impossible for me to explain God to you. Okay, that's a rough start on the first day of class. It's even more impossible for me to understand him. So what are we doing here? What are we doing here? Well, here's what we're doing here. The beginning of theology is to realize that God is bigger than you and you'll never understand him. The beginning of theology is to realize God is bigger than you. Everyone with me? The beginning of heresy is to believe that you know it all. The beginning of theology, God is bigger than me. The beginning of heresy is I know it all. And God has to fit into my framework, into my brain. Give you another quote right here. Uh, a writer, Marcelino, not quite sure how to go about D'Ambrosio, writes this about Athanasius and his theology, which we'll get to in a second. He said, God is one, yet God is three. Jesus is human, yet Jesus is divine. These paradoxes 
are truth's intention. They strain the brain and summon the human mind to bow in awe and worship. Here's my, my question for you, then I'll move on. Does God bow to your mind or does your mind bow to God? Does God have to say, oh, you of high intellect, you with your 3.34 GPA in, in whatever college that you went to, does God have to bow himself to your intellect or will I humble myself and bow myself before God? That was Arius. Arius in, in his mind was God. And if God doesn't fit in my brain, he's not God. He came up with his own idea. So Arius summarized the wrong teaching is that God uncreated is the father. The son is a creature. He is a, cre he is a creation of the father. There was a time when the son was not. That was his thing, is that you had infinite God, you had finite humans, and the logos was kind of on this side. He couldn't accept that God had a son who was exactly like him. Here comes St. Athanasius, our boy, our man, our hero, the, stu the, 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 the stud who walks on the stage, age 20, 21, 22. Think of what you were doing at age 21, 21, 22. Okay, you couldn't even, just, just learning how to read, or maybe potential was. And here he comes. He writes his book on the incarnation, he goes to the Council of Nicaea, and he gets it all clear right there. Here's the thing. When St. Athanasius wrote on the Incarnation, he actually wrote it before Arius was a famous guy. He wasn't writing on the Incarnation to rebuke Arius. He didn't even mention his name. In fact, most historians and scholars think it was the opposite, that Arius it was actually Athanasius's writing that incited Arius and the movement that he was about to do. Like Arius took the world by storm, and we'll see that in a minute here. And all these people followed Arius. But it wasn't Athanasius defending the faith against him. Athanasius was just writing because it was all these different ideas. And Arius saw it, got fumed, and that's when Arius launched his attack on the church and on the world. What Athanasius wrote was the greatest, like I said, statement on the Christian faith. And the phrase that was repeated over and over and on the incarnation, which again, I highly recommend you read. I promise you. I promise you it's not as hard as you think. The stuff that you do at work, okay? Anyone here who has a, a, a graduate degree, the stuff you read in those classes is a thousand times harder, okay? I look at the stuff and some people tell me about their jobs. I'm like, I don't know how you do any of that stuff. That stuff doesn't make any sense to me. If you can understand, if you can understand a physics book, you can understand that stuff you read in law school. My God, have mercy on us. The stuff you read in medical school, if y'all can understand that stuff, you read on the incarnation like a child's book. It's that simple, but it is that profound. The one phrase that's repeated over and over, the two phrases, I should say. The son was divine. The son was divine. The son was, he kept saying son and divine, son and divine. And then he would also, when you talk about Christ, would say God, the logos. God, the logos. Because, because Arius would say the logos as a creature. He would say God, the logos. God, the logos. God, the logos. And he's saying the exact opposite. Then when he wrote the creed, Okay, one of the things that you see every time we say it, we say that the Son, the Logos, is of one essence with the Father. Isn't that what we say? We believe in one God, God the Father, blah, 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 blah. we will only be on Son Jesus Christ our Lord. And we say he is one essence with the Father, light of light, true God of true God, begotten, not created. We say that. The, every, the language there is very specific to say everything that Arius is saying, the opposite of that. We believe that he is one essence. Another word for one essence, you may hear this big word, consubstantial. Say consubstantial. Consubstantial means of the same substance, of the same stuff. Everything that the Father was, the Father is a substance, a divinity, infinite, uncreated, limitless. The Son is the same stuff of one essence, of one stuff, exact same stuff, different person, but same stuff. So anything you say about the Father, infinite, you say about the Son. Also the Holy Spirit, but that's not our topic. You say he is True God, well, he is true God of true God. He is light of light. An example I give in the membership group for those who are there, I always bring two candles. Okay, and I say, if I got a candle right here and it's lit with a fire, and I got an empty candle right here and I touch it like this and I, and I, and I now light this one, is that fire any less than that fire? That is light of light. It's the same substance. It's no different. This is not a lesser fire. This one is not like the stronger fire. This isn't like the baby fire. It's the same stuff. And what we're saying is the, fa the father the son was begotten of the father, light of light. When? Before all ages. There was never a time when either candle was not lit, okay? And you know what? When Athanasius writes this, he embraces the fact that he says, it's very simply, 
I know this doesn't make sense. He speaks about it. He says, I get it. I don't understand. None of us can understand how an infinite God was a baby in a manger who, who cried. And, 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 you know, again, forgive me. I don't mean it to be disrespectful. Who pooped in his pants. You know what I mean? Who went to the bathroom. Who, when you cut him, he bled. Who was hungry. Who was tired. Like, it doesn't make any sense. But the difference between Arius and Athanasius, Athanasius embraced the mystery. He said, that's what makes our God, God. Athanasius explained it this way. He said, one of the characteristics of divinity, okay, of the Godhead, is omnipresent. God is everywhere at all times. And the Son, because he is God, he is omnipresent, meaning there's no contradiction between him being on earth, in a manger, held in his mother's arms, and at the same time, holding all of creation in the palm of his hand. There's no contradiction because he's God. Arius, you're thinking too human. You're thinking, how could a baby hold all of creation? Well, he's God. And because he's God, you cannot limit what he can do. You can't put your limits because you cannot be here and be there at the same time, but you can't put your limits on God. He's God. This is what he says in his book. Read a few quotes from the book. See the simple language. It's not difficult. Even while present in a human body and himself quickening it, meaning giving it life or sustaining it, he was, without inconsistency, quickening the universe as well and was in every process of nature. He was not bound to his body, but rather was himself wielding it so that he was not only in it, but was actually in everything. Now, I want to pause the story right here and say, you may be sitting there and being like, who cares? And that's a valid question. And I always say that in the membership group when we talk about this stuff. You are welcome. When I'm talking in the membership group, I'm talking about this is what we believe. I, say, I, tell you, I want you to raise your hand and say, who cares? And if I don't have an answer to why this matters, then I, what am I talking about? Who cares? Who cares if Christ was fully divine or just kind of like half divine? Who cares if he was begotten before all ages or begotten at a moment in time? Like, who cares? Either way, he died for our sins, right? Well, that was actually, just again, like today, that was, the, that was the approach of many emperors back in Athanasius' time. Because many emperors didn't like seeing the empire divided by these schisms. So oftentimes they would say, okay, you know what? Like you have your belief, you know, you have your belief, like it's okay, and just try to patch it up as like, okay, there's different ways. You know, you say tomato, I say tomato. And that's kind of what we do today, right? Like, it's okay, everyone just kind of believe what they want and just be a nice guy. Does it, re does it really make a difference? Does it make a difference? Absolutely, it makes a difference. If it didn't make a difference, again, we're wasting our time. First thing, understand this, agree with me. You know what I'm about to say is about to be true. Every behavior, every action in life comes from a belief. Do you believe that? Every behavior comes from a belief. The worst behavior, the worst things imaginable are not failures in behavior, they're failures in belief. Genocide is a horrible action. The root of it is a belief, a corrupt belief. Infanticide, okay, when you kill babies, it comes from a belief about the value of babies. Racism comes from a belief about the value of people with different colors of skin. Every behavior comes from a belief, and that also works on a micro level. Why is it that you, uh, 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 you, you told that lie? It comes from a belief. Why is it that you stole it? it comes from a belief. Why is it you treat yourself this way? It comes from a belief. All behavior comes from belief. Therefore, follow me here. Corrupt believing will lead to corrupt living. If there's a corruption or a distortion, if there's a virus in my beliefs, it will lead to a virus in my behavior, in my life. Everyone with me so far? Athanasius understood that. And Athanasius understood specifically what we're talking about right now. What this virus, what the difference is. What difference does it make if Christ is God, not God? What difference does that make for your salvation and, 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 and for what Christ came to accomplish? I will tell you this. If Christ is not God, if the Logos is not eternal, then the good news of the gospel is not very good news after all. Because for us, follow me here on this one, salvation, our understanding of salvation has always been the understanding of the church. Only in recent years, Things have shifted and people use salvation to mean, now people mean salvation means like go to heaven when you die. That is not the understanding of the church of salvation. It has never been an understanding of the church of salvation. Salvation is more than just 
an erasure of a debt. Sometimes we look at it today, that there was a sin, there was a crime committed, a debt had to be paid, a punishment had to be rendered. Someone did something bad, someone had to come and stamp it out so these people could go to heaven. That's how sometimes we look at salvation today. That is not the way the church has always looked at salvation. Salvation is more than erasing of a debt. It's healing of man. And I've told you that if you want to, when someone says, what is your understanding of salvation or what's salvation or salvation, get rid of the word salvation because it means different things, different people. We talk about not salvation. We talk about healing of mankind. I'll explain it to you this way. Sin, like I said, is a virus. Sin entered into mankind. And what sin did is it created a distortion, a corruption. The life that God designed for us to live got corrupted. Like a file on your computer, okay? The Word document was great. A virus went in. All of a sudden, it doesn't do what it's supposed to do. All of a sudden, you get the gibberish and the little squares and the, the wingdings or whatever it may be. That's what happened when sin entered into humanity, is that mankind, the image that God created, was corrupted. And that corruption begins today. And as you get further and further in life into eternity, the corruption gets worse. So yes, the corruption has an eternal heaven and hell component, but it's much bigger than that. What sin did is it took the masterpiece that God created and it distorted it. And everything that you see out there today, and let's be honest, I'm gonna be honest, it's easy for me to say out there, but I wanna say everything that you see when you look in the mirror, when you stand in front of God, you're like, why did I say that again? Why did I lose my cool again? Why did I break that promise? Why did I eat that again? Why did I go there again? What's wrong with me? The answer, sin has distorted the image of God in you. Look at this quote right here. Then Athanasius says, the human being made rational and in the image of God was now disappearing. And the work made by God being obliterated. Think of it this way. The Mona Lisa. Great picture, the whatever it may be. Okay, it's a beautiful picture. It's a masterpiece. It's the best. And then let's say somehow security falls asleep and a little kid goes on there and draws with a marker. Permanent marker. You know, like the, the mustache. Okay, like. And he... Is it still a masterpiece? Like, yes, it was created as a masterpiece, but it looks like junk. It was created as a masterpiece. It looks like junk. It needs to be restored. Well, who can restore it? Can you, forget about technology and what, can you go to your room today? I give you a, 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 some watercolors, okay? And I steal Lizzie's, my daughter's brushes and give them to you and say, go ahead, recreate the, the Mona Lisa for me. It worked that way? Who can recreate a masterpiece? Only the artist who drew it. Only the original. Who can recreate humanity? Humanity was created, messed up. Who can fix it? Who can renew it? An angel? A prophet? A king? Father Anthony? He surely can do it. Only God. Only the creator can recreate. And that's exactly what Jesus was talking about. He said, look here. You got to be born again. I don't need to be born again. You do. Because the original was corrupted. It needs to be renewed. It needs to be restored. But good news. I'm God. I can create. If I'm not God, if Christ is not God, then he can't recreate. Because only the creator can create and recreate. And that's what the original artist did. The creator takes flesh. The creator comes to earth. The creator comes, he renews, he restores, and he restored all of humanity by his incarnation. And not only did he restore it, he actually, if it was possible, even made it better. Look what St. Peter says. He says, as his, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. I want you to pay attention to this word life. When it talks about life, when the scriptures talk about life, it's like when Jesus said, I've come that they may have life. It doesn't mean, okay, a minute ago I told you that life that you see in the mirror, the overeating life, 
the, the gossiping life, the hurting each other life, the no self-control life, that life, that's not the life. That's the distorted life. What he's saying is that Christ has come, God in the flesh, to restore us to life, to give the abundant life, the life the way it was designed to be. He came to give us all things that pertain to life and godliness. How? Through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, that you may be partakers of the divine nature. Look at that. What St. Peter is saying, which is what St. Athanasius said in his writings as well, is that God saw that man was shriveling away. The creation was just disappearing in front of his eyes. And God could have said, okay, you know what? We gave it our best shot. Let's move on. Let's, you know, go to the, the, the angels and, or the dogs. Like, let, forget about those humans. But God said, no, I like those things. I'm kind of attached to them. So let's go down there. Takes flesh, comes down and recreates man. But this time when he recreates man, by God dwelling in humanity, that me and you, me and you can be one with God because God united with me. God united with mankind. So now man can unite with God. But if Christ wasn't God, then God and man are not reunited. God and man are separate from each other. And you and me got a big problem to face if Christ was not fully God. Same author, uh, Marcel Alino D'Ambrosio, writes it this way. He said, the eternal life won for us is not eternal in the sense that it is an unending experience of human existence that is all too familiar to us. No, it is a qualitatively different kind of life, eternal in the sense that it is participation in the life of the eternal one. That's an important point. Eternal life doesn't mean just goes on forever. When Christ speaks about that life, that eternal life, it means a new kind of life a reborn kind of life, a born again by water and spirit. Not just the same life goes on and on and on. Like who wants that? Who wants an unending virus? He's saying a new life. Only one who is God and is in full possession of the divine nature can impart that nature to us by means of grace. Bottom line, if Christ is God, God and man can be united. If Christ is not God, God and man are still separate. Bottom line. Because in Christ, who was fully human. Remember I said one in essence with the Father? He was also one in essence with us. He was consubstantial with us. So he's one in essence. He has everything of the divinity. And he has everything of the humanity. And he stands like this. And in Christ, all those people over there can come to God. And in, through Christ, God comes to man. But if he's not God, he can only take us to where he's reached. And what St. Athanasius says, if I don't have that life united with God, that's not a life that's even worth living. Look what he says right here. He says, inasmuch as he is good, he, God, did not leave them, that's us, destitute of the knowledge of himself, lest they should find no profit in existing at all. Why did God make them at all as he did not wish to be known by them? He's, being, he's saying like, if God wasn't coming to restore us and to make us united with him, like, what's the point of this life? Just to live with this virus forever? That's a miserable existence. Whence, lest this should be so, being good, he gives them a share in his own image, our Lord Jesus Christ, and makes them after his own image and after his likeness, so that by such grace, perceiving the image that is the word of the Father, they may be able through him to get an idea of the Father and knowing their maker, live the happy and truly blessed life. St. Athanasius says, if, God was not, if Christ was not God, Christ was just a messenger of God, that means you and God are still far apart. That means God loves you, but not really, because God didn't want to come and be close to you. God sent a messenger for you. But because he is God, it shows that you can have oneness with God and truly know him as well. Athanasius made his point at the council. He stood up, proclaimed the faith. They clapped for him. They said, this Arius guy, get him out of here. They excommunicated him. Eventually, Athanasius becomes patriarch. But the unfortunate thing is the Arianism, okay, Arius and his, and his followers. Arianism here, by the way, is different than like the Nazi version of Arianism. That's with a Y. This is A-R-I, okay. Arianism continued, okay, and Arius didn't give up easy. And Athanasius spent the next 45 years of his life as a patriarch till he died in 373 AD. And, after, and spending 45 years as the patriarch, 17 of those years were spent in exile on five different occasions when the Arians would convince the emperor, okay, or the Arians would come into power and Athanasius was persecuted the rest of his life. But he still 
important thing is that even though many people were still following the wrong guy's teachings, the faith was documented, intact, and to this day, all Christians, like I said, we look to the Nicene Creed as what makes us who we are as Christians. Now, what I want to do really quickly here, real quick, I'm going to go three lessons that we can take away from his life. Super quick, very high level. I won't go into more detail. You're smart enough that you can apply this in your own life. Athanasius teaches us three things. He says, if we're named after him, this is what we're going to be called to the standard. Number one, fight for truth, not beliefs. Fight for truth, not beliefs. I hate when I see people fighting tooth and nail. What are we fighting about? Beliefs, how we think the world should work, policies, politics. We don't fight for beliefs. We fight for truth as revealed to us by God. I'm not against politics. I'm not against, po I'm, I'm all for that. But what, 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 what pains me is when I see the energy expended on things versus, and then you get to the energy expended on the things that God has revealed to us as truth. That's where we need to fight because I promise you, if we get the beliefs right, I'm sorry, if we get the truth right, the belief will fall into line. There's a great verse that I love. It's from Sirach 4.28, okay? The book of Sirach, it's not gonna be up on the screen. It's one of my favorite verses. It said, actually, repeat it after me. Fight to the death for the truth. And the Lord God will fight for you. Isn't that a great verse? Again, fight to the death for the truth. And the Lord God will fight for you. I love that verse. And you know what? I believe that we should, like I said, spend our time. The eternal truth revealed to us by God, and we should fight to the death and let God fight for us. Let me tell you some eternal truths. Truth. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, should not live that corrupted life, but should live that glorious life, that abundant life. And here's the thing about the life. Truth. The truth is, is that when you have the life, it's great. When you share the life, it gets better. That this life multiplies the more it's shared with others and the more people join that life. I'll tell you another truth. That life, truth, is meant to be lived out not in isolation, but in this thing called the church, which Christ believed very, very much in. And the scriptures say that he purchased with his own blood. And the life that, that, that God has for us is to be lived out in that eternal body of Christ, which is the church, which is what we gather here to do every Sunday, but it's what we do even beyond here. Truth, in the church, in the kingdom of God, in the family of God, all of us are on equal footing. Not race, not gender, not age, not social class. Like all that stuff out there makes a difference and we ask the world that we live in. That's the corrupt world. But in here, none of that stuff. All here are one in Christ. Those are the truths we should be fighting for. And those are the things that we should be ready to die for, not the other stuff. Number two, again, I'm gonna move quickly right here. Don't limit yourself to what you can explain. Please, don't limit yourself to what you can explain. You are a very intelligent person, but you're not that smart. Do not limit your life to only the things that make sense to you. I promise you that the beauty of life, the stuff that's worth living for, is on the other side of what you can explain and not explain. Nothing is more arrogant than for me to say, if this doesn't make sense, it must not be true. That is the supreme arrogance, and that's our society today, right? Like I remember back when I was in, when I was in high school, my senior year, and I still remember my calculus teacher, and I'm like, excuse me, sir, none of this stuff makes sense. And he looked at me and said, you're getting a D, which is basically his way of saying, it's not the problem, it's the calculus. The problem is the person who's, who does not understand it. And ever since then, I didn't take another calculus class for the rest of my life, because to me, calculus doesn't make sense. But I'm sure it makes sense to somebody. Like, there's gotta be somebody out there who understands the sign and the cosine and all that stuff. Like, just because it doesn't make sense to me, how arrogant to say, nope, throw away all calculus, remove it. Actually, throw algebra out while you're at it as well. Doesn't make sense to me, obviously it has no value. No, why we approach God? Say the same thing. Don't limit your life to what you can believe and what you can explain, the beauty of life is on the other side. Last but not least, and I wish I had more time for this one, you don't need prominence to have significance. The world today is the opposite. The world today says, many of us today are looking to make it big. Big platform. The world today says, the more followers you got, the higher up you are in the chart, the more important you are, the more success in Athanasius. No title. No fanfare. Man, oh man. He changed the world. And we are who we are today because of who this 
unprominent person. Man, oh man, was he significant. I'll say this and I'll move on here because I'm running out of time. Who knows? If I could come eye to eye with everyone here, I would. Who knows what great work God will do through you, through you, if you let go of trying to be prominent. Who knows? Who knows what great work God will do through you if you let go of trying to be prominent. Only God knows. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. There's our patron saints. There's ST and SA. They're great. We're named after them. And if you're, if you're part of this church, you got two giants looking over your shoulders at all times. You got two giant men, not in a judgmental way, but in a, hey, don't forget, St. Timothy. Don't forget, we're here preachers. We're not just here for ourselves. We're not here for our comfort, like Father Timothy spoke about last week. We're not cookie cutters. We're willing to go out of our comfort zone. We're willing to sacrificial obedience. Let's go. St. Timothy's there cheering us on. St. Athanasius, then on the other side. And you're going to hold my name? You're going to be a church in my name? You need to be willing to fight for truth, not beliefs. Beliefs don't matter in here. Truth matters. Christianity we talk about is not religion. Christianity is history. It's fact. It's truth. You need to be willing to not focus on being prominent and titled. We need to be significant and do what God has called us to do. And lastly, like I said, we need to approach life with a divine humility. We need to approach God as students, not as teachers. And when we do that, we live up to their names. I'm going to leave you all with a quote from C.S. Lewis again in his introduction on the incarnation. He writes this, and then I'm done. His epitaph is Athanasius Contramundum, okay, Latin for against the world. We are proud that our own country has more than once stood against the world. Athanasius did the same. He stood for the Trinitarian doctrine, holy and undefiled, when it looked as if all the civilized world was slipping back from Christianity into the religion of Arius. It's one of those sensible synthetic religions which are so strongly recommended today and which now as then included among their devotees many highly cultivated clergymen. In other words, many celebrities, many prominent people had fallen into it as well. It is to his glory, I'm sorry, it is his glory that he did not move with the times. It is his reward that he now remains when those times, as all times do, have moved away. Let's make our patron saints proud and learn from their example and follow the example they laid for us. Stand for a prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you not with an arrogance, but with a, with a humble spirit and, and bowing ourselves in front of you. We thank you, Lord, that you allowed us to be part of a church with such great saints who are like leading the way in front of us. Pray that you would help us to follow their example, to make you proud and make them proud in the process. Pray all these things in the name of your son, the intercessions and the prayers of all your saints. Hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you so much, Father Anthony. Um, and thank you.